Well, good morning, Mount Calvary Church. I have a prop this morning, so I'm going to get set up here. Just a quick second. We're going backpacking today, all of us, you too. Isn't that exciting? Well, good morning. My name is Matt Watson, and I'm the lead pastor. We're grateful that we can worship together. You're all looking at my pack here. Um, as we get started, I want to say a quick thank you uh, to all of the help that we received this weekend for our Mount Calvary Christian School auction. So Paula and April and the committee and all the teachers and all the helpers uh, we had an amazing weekend with our auction. I haven't heard a number of what we raised. Go ahead. How much? 124000 I didn't know. Okay, $124,000. I was going to say, everything felt more expensive this year when I was bidding on it. And that's, that's a good thing, except I didn't win as much, but that's Okay. But we're so thankful for the, for the auction weekend. I mean, our school is a great ministry of our church here, and it's a big part of what our school does. And so this weekend is a huge weekend for, the, for this ministry. And so we're thankful for all the people that worked so hard uh, for, this, for this auction. And so thank you, God. I mean, what a, what a, what a gift. That's a, I mean, is that, that's up there with... So it's a, been a great year with our 124. So yeah, thank you, Lord, for that. Um, we're in our series that we're calling The Discipleship Journey. Um, so this is a really important series for us as a church where we kind of stop and we look and say, church, what are we doing? Like, how are we making disciples? You know, Jesus tells us, tells the disciples, and he tells the church, and he tells all believers that he has come to make disciples disciples and to make disciples of all nations. And so as, a, as leadership, the elders and the pastors and the directors, if we've been, we've been looking at our programming, we're looking at what we're doing and we're asking the question, well, how are we being obedient to make disciples? And so we've been praying over this series for the last nine months. Uh, we've been talking about it now for a couple of weeks, but, but I'm passionate about helping whoever walks into this room. Um, how can we help you uh, go from being a non-disciple to a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And so we've kind of identified three areas or three steps into this discipleship journey. The first one uh, that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, becoming a disciple. Because we recognize that before we go and grow as a disciple, before we start talking about habits of a disciple, and before we go and make disciples, that we have to become a disciple. And so for the last two weeks, we've talked about what does it mean to know God and to know how he made you and that he made you for him. And so with Christianity, unlike all major world religions, your entrance into this relationship with God is not an accomplishment. Unlike all the other world religions, it's not an eightfold path. It's not a pilgrimage. It's not a prayer. It's not a lifestyle. It's not a class that you have to take. It's not prayer and fasting. That's not how you enter into this discipleship journey, this relationship with your maker. It's not a family that you're born in. It's not, uh, it's not being an American citizen. It's not good works. It's not aspirations. It's not, a, 
accomplishments. That's not how you start this journey. And we've said for these last two weeks, well, how, how do I come to know the God who made me? How do I enter into this discipleship journey? In repentance and brokenness over your sin, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You believe in who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He came and he lived and he died and he was buried and he rose to give you life, new life. And you put your faith in Jesus. You believe in who he is and who he is for you. And this faith we talked about last week, it's not a private faith. It's not a little prayer that you pray in the quiet of your room. But this is a public faith. And how do we show our faith in Jesus? We get, we get baptized. We get in front of the church and our community and we say, I publicly proclaim Jesus. And as a ministry, this is what we're about. We're about helping you know Jesus, like who you are in Christ. And this is, this is where we have to start. And we will always start by asking you, I mean, do you know Christ? Like, have you recognized your sin and your brokenness and your distance from God and that you need him? And as a ministry, we do lots of things and programmings, but this is, this is where we start because this is the starting point. This is, this is day one. And so even now I ask you, I mean, where are you with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? I mean, do you feel connected to, to God? And if you don't, if you feel far, maybe it's your, some of the, the decisions you're making, maybe it's something about your past, uh, maybe it's something you're feeling, but for whatever reason you feel far from God, like you don't, you don't know him, then, then we would love to talk to you today. I'd love to have a conversation with you about how you start this journey of discipleship by putting your faith in Christ. And so that's where we start. But that's not where Jesus ends. Right? Jesus doesn't come to the world and, and doesn't come to the crowds and to the people. And he, it doesn't seem like he's out to make lots of baptized converts. Right? It doesn't, that's where it starts, but that's not where it finishes. It's not that they get baptized. He says, well, my work here is done. What does Jesus say constantly over and over as he interacts with people? He says, follow me. Matthew, the tax collector, what does he say? Matthew, come, leave that tax booth and follow me. Simon, Peter, and Andrew, Mary, Martha, what does he say? They followed, they followed Jesus. Matthew 4, 18 through 19 just describes this following. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. The call wasn't just believing, but out of this belief and this identification with Jesus through baptism, now get up and start walking after me. And as you think about this concept of following, of discipleship, this would have been a concept that would have been very familiar for the Jewish man and the Jewish woman. That's not as familiar for us today. And so I think it's important to say, okay, we, and we've done this before, but what, what is a disciple? Um, and so for the Jewish boy and the Jewish girl, they would, have, they would have, this idea of following Jesus would have meant something very significant for them. So for the, for the Jewish boy and the Jewish girl, they would go to school at the synagogue. 
So in Jerusalem, there were 480 synagogues. And for the boys and the girls, they'd start to start school just like our kids do in the synagogue under the rabbi, two levels of schooling. And they would go and their, their textbook would be the Old Testament. First five books of the Old Testament for the first school, the rest of the Old Testament for the second school. And the rabbi would teach you how to interpret the word. They would help you memorize the word, how to understand the word, how to apply the word. And so for many boys and girls, this was their education in, for, for being a Jewish boy or girl. They'd go to the synagogue and they'd learn the word. And then at 15, they'd be done with school. The boys would go work with their dads. The girls would get married. And for most, this was the end of schooling, except for a few chosen people the top 1%, that maybe they were wealthy or they, were, they really enjoyed studying the law, this few 1% would go to the next level of school. And this would be what we would understand as the school of discipleship. So this is, I mean, it's, a, it's wild reading about this school for 15-year-olds. What they would do is they'd leave the synagogue, they'd go find a rabbi, and they'd say, Rabbi, we want to be your disciple." Like, I want to be your disciple. And the rabbi would say, well, I need to test you. And so for weeks, the rabbi would test their understanding of the law, test their understanding of how to apply the law, asking them questions about their life and their home and their personal life. And finally, after a couple of weeks of like this rigorous testing, the rabbi would look at the, the boy or the, the boy and say, you have passed the test, and he would say these words. We have records of other disciples saying these words to, to these boys, follow me. And at that point, at 15, you would become a Talmud. You would become a disciple of the rabbi. And for the next 15 years, that's a, some college education for you. I mean, 15 years, they're following the rabbi around. And here's where it's really, this is really helpful is, it helps give light on what, what is a disciple because the, the, the disciple of the rabbi wasn't just about education. Now, that's a big piece of what it means to be a disciple. I mean, they'd memorize the Old Testament, large chunks of the Old Testament. They'd learn all about the interpretations of the law according to that rabbi, and they'd spend hours and hours studying. But what you see with discipleship is it's not just study. Like, I think a lot of times when we think of disciple of Jesus, we think, the first word we think of, a learner, a student. Like we need to learn and study and think. But what we see of the disciples in, in Israel was more than just education. It was also all about becoming like your rabbi. Imitation. How can I literally talk like my rabbi? How can I sound like him? How can I dress like him? How can I walk like him? How can I eat with him? I want to eat with him. And you, you sleep in the same quarters with the rabbi because your entire life was, how do I become a replication of this rabbi? And so as a church, as we think about, well, you know, what does it mean to be a disciple? I mean, it is important to have this background in mind. It's, it's less of a student under a teacher, I think probably a better metaphor of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is this, this idea of apprenticeship. I don't know if you've ever been an apprentice or an intern. Um, I was an intern. I felt like my dad was my boss for a while. He would take me in the kitchen sink, and he, would, he didn't say, go read a book on how to 
fix the plumbing problem. He'd say, come, I want to show you. I want you to get wet, and you're going to get dirty. We're going to get under the car. We're going to fix things, and I'm going to, I'm going to show you what to do. It wasn't all that helpful for me, but he showed me. But even as a pastor, and in most jobs, teachers, and internships are really big piece of learning your craft. You know, I went to classes, learned about the Bible, but pastoring is learned in the field, in the church, working with people, actually doing the communication, teachers, mechanics, plumbers, all of these things. You learn by doing. And so for us, that was a really quick overview of discipleship. But here's why we, why we say this. How can we help you who have come to become a disciple through faith in Jesus, how can we help you be an apprentice with Jesus? Because it's not just education. We just not just teaching, but how can we help you become like Jesus with his qualities and his attributes and what he did and what he thought? How can we as a church offer something to help you learn and be just like him? And so for us, what we've done is we've called this the growing as discipleship growing as a disciple. And we've, we've identified seven habits, seven habits that we say, if you do these things, you will become more like Jesus in education and in character and in who you are. And maybe this is overwhelming. I mean, there's seven things I'm supposed to do, seven things. I mean, that's a lot, of, a lot of stuff. But just remember, Jesus called people to follow him, 15-year-olds. You think that was a lot to, to take on. Like you're leaving your family behind to follow Jesus. And so what, we're on the same path of saying, God, you are worthy. You are worthy, and we will follow you whatever it takes. And so our, our seven habits are study the Bible, pray continually, fast occasionally, worship together, connect in community, commit to accountability, and serve others. And we're going to spend time thinking about these seven over the next seven weeks. And then again, as a church, how are we helping you walk with these habits? Because that's the question. Remember, we're making disciples. That's what we, we want to focus everything on. What does it mean to know Jesus and be like him in, with our habits and grow as a disciple? And so as a church, we said, if these habits make us more like Jesus, how can we, everything we do, focus on helping you and helping me walk with Jesus in this way. And so that's, it's not just what these habits are, but it, as we go through the series, it will be how are we helping you, programming. And so the, that left side of the column uh, is our habits that you can do in your home. These are private habits. These are things that you'll do at your dinner table, Monday mornings at 6 a.m. or whenever you want to do it, but that we don't program those, those things. That's for you to do between you and the Lord um, but those habits on the, on the right side, we're calling community habits. There's a lot that, to learn about Jesus that you can't learn by yourself. You read scriptures, and a lot of it is, is one another together. And so there are habits that you can't learn without the community of faith around you. And so that's going to be more of our programming. There's going to be ways that we program to help you grow as a disciple with those habits on the right side. This morning, we're going to be thinking through studying the Bible, so let's pray and we'll um, open up the Word. Father, we're thankful for today. God, we want to follow you as a disciple. We want to grow with you. We want to represent you. God, we recognize that in our day, in my day, I have habits that I do 
all the time. But God, I pray that you would help me and you'd help us to develop godly habits that help us walk with you. So God, work in our hearts even this morning as we think about studying your word. God, I pray that uh, you would convict us this morning. You'd convict me. God, that you would help me to prioritize this habit more than I even do. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need your eyes. We need your encouragement. Uh, But we ask for it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Studying the Bible. It's our first habit for the morning. Um, The God who created billions of galaxies, billions of galaxies, and every single grain of sand, every single grain of sand, every little tiny grain of sand who created the colors that you enjoy, who made the smells that you love, who created everything you see, all the seasons that you, you love, the God who made you perfectly. He designed you perfectly. He made your body. He made you think. He made your heart, your brain, your fingers, your eyelashes, your toes. He made everything about you. And he did so perfectly because he loves you. This creator, good God, has chosen to, to continually communicate with you. I mean, just, just let that sink in for just a second. This God, our God, has chosen to communicate with you always. Every day, every situation, good days and bad days, when things are great and when things are dry, when you're happy, when you are sad, when you're feeling great and when you're feeling awful, God has chosen to speak with you. And you know, a lot of people think differently about how God speaks to you. I have a dream or I, someone said something to me, or I saw something. And, uh, but what we see in God's word that the primary way in which God communicates us to us every single day, it is his holy, perfect, authoritative word. That is how he communicates with us primarily. I love the passage in 1 Samuel. Samuel, who is talked to from God, it says, the word appeared again at Shiloh, For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel. Well, how did the Lord reveal himself to Samuel? It tells us by the word of the Lord. How does God reveal himself? It is through his word that he communicates directly to you in every season of your life. It's impossible to be a disciple I mean, we have, this is what we, we have to be in this book if we're going to follow Jesus. John 8 makes a pretty bold statement. Jesus said to the, to the Jews who'd believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. In other words, if you don't abide in my word, you're not my true disciple. I mean, it is, it is, Nearly, I would say nearly impossible to overestimate the importance of this book for following Jesus. Everyone look up here for just a second. This book is critical 
if you are gonna live for Jesus as a disciple, if we're gonna go on this journey to be a disciple of Jesus, we can't go without this book. This book has to be with us all the time. I don't know if you've ever been backpacking. I've gone on some backpacking trips over the years, a week long, a couple of days. One time we went backpacking and it snowed. That was not fun in the rain. But when you go backpacking, I mean, you're not going to a cabin. You recognize that. It's not like you, going to a cabin and going for a hike, coming back to the cabin. That's not backpacking. That's going to a cabin. And you may prefer that. My wife would prefer that. But when you go backpacking over days, you take everything you need, you take it with you. You pack it all in this pack because this is how you live. This is everything you have. And so you buy these massive backpacks that can carry more than you could ever imagine. Okay, so I want to show you what I was able to pack in my backpack this morning, if I can get it out. Okay, here is my sleeping bag here at the bottom, and I'm going to open it up kind of go through. I mean, remember, I mean, you, there's no gas stations. There's no pit stops. I mean, you, everything you, ha, you need, you bring, it, you bring it with you. So I got my, my hiking shoes. Okay, you have to bring all your food and all your plates and all the means to cook your food. And so we have a, a water boiler. I have my food here. Raymond noodles, really important. You bring your pot Got my coffee. That's important. Got my throat, my throwing axe, I guess, if I'm bored. Got my headlamp. Okay, you need light because it gets dark and you don't have electricity, so you've got to be able to see. You've got a sleeping pad for underneath your sleeping bag. You've got all your clothing. I mean, if you're staying for multiple nights, you've got to pack all your clothes. You've got to bring your pillows. You can't sleep on the ground, so you have one pillow. I'm a two-pillow guy, so I bring two pillows. Took this one off our sofa. Sorry, hon. Okay, and all this stuff, I mean, you're packing it with you. I got my, my camping chair, got my water bottle, okay? And, and I realized as I was doing this in the first service, I forgot my tent, so that's a problem. I forgot my map, but yeah, this is just an illustration. But you gotta, you, I mean, you need this stuff. If you're going backpacking, you need these things, and, and it's very similar to God's word. If you're going on the discipleship journey with, with Jesus, like you, you need this book, and this book isn't just the backpack. This book is everything that's in the backpack. So I was just thinking about the ways that we need God's word. God's word is our food, ramen noodles. That's it. That's our Bible. Okay, First Peter. Look at how First Peter talks about the importance of God's word as our food, to so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk of the word, that by it you might grow up into salvation. So hear this, when you become a disciple by putting your faith in Jesus, if you're 60 years old or you're 10, you are a baby in Christ. And what does First Peter tell us? You grow in your salvation, the milk of the word. It is, it is your food. You cannot grow in your salvation without the word. And I like how it's described here. It's a command. Long for it. Like, it's the word desire. I, the command is desire God's word. Now, wait a minute. Like, how can we 
be commanded to desire something. Like some of us don't have a taste for it. I mean, if we were honest, we'd say, well, I don't know the word, like that's the pastor's job or my spouse's job, or they have a taste for it, but I, I don't have a taste, but it's a command in scripture. Long and desire God's word. Well, what is that? How do we understand that? Well, I think we understand it by saying, if we're given a command in scripture to do something, we need to trust that God will help us to fulfill the command. Work, work on longing for the word of God. Even if it's hard, even if it's not natural, because when we work on it, we trust God that God will give us everything we need to fulfill his command to long for his word. God's word is our headlamp. You know the passage, Psalm 119, 105? Your word is a lamp unto my feet. I mean, we love this passage. It's a light to our path. I mean, if you go backpacking without light, I mean, you're not going to go very far. I tell the story of a, a race that we did years ago. I've shared this before, but one of our runners, his headlamp went out, and he was our, one of our best runners on the trails, middle of the night, no light. It doesn't matter how great of a runner you are. If you have no light, you will not make it through. And so it says, your word is a lamp. But here's our question. Well, what is it what is God's word a lamp for? I mean, a lot of times people will come to me, Matt, God's word's a lamp and it's a light. Help me to see where I'm supposed to go. I've got a job in Philly, a job in Harrisburg, a job in Hershey, and I need guidance. What am I to do? What college am I to go to? Where am I supposed to move? What should I major and do with my career? And a lot of times we go to God's word as if it's a light for those things. God's word is a light. It's directing me. Where, where am I supposed to go? Can you help me find my, I'm like, your college isn't in here, okay? Like, it doesn't spell it out. Like, you don't take the first letter of all, like, that's not how it works. How is God's word a light? What is it a light for? And you read scripture and you pretty quickly realize that, that God is not as concerned about your location, and he's not as concerned about your vocation. He's not cons as concerned about your future and where you're going to move next. He's not, the Bible is not as concerned about that as it is concerned about who you are. So not what, not where, but who are you becoming today? How is God's word of light? It is telling you about the husband that you are to be today. That's how it's a light telling you about the spouse or the wife that you are to be today, how you're to serve and to care for your husband, about the kind of teacher you are to be. That's the kind of light God's word is. And listen, how are we to know how we're supposed to live as a husband or a wife or a teacher or a son or a daughter if we don't have this book? We, we don't know. It's not our default to know who we are to be. God's word is our sleeping pad. So here's your sleeping pad. If you've ever gone even camping and you try to sleep with just your sleeping bag on the ground, how do you feel when you wake up in the morning? It doesn't feel good. Like you may feel like, oh, it's not a big deal. I can, I'm tough. It's just a night. I can like try it. 
You wake up and you're in physical pain. And so you have a sleeping pad. It goes under your sleeping bag and you wake up feeling a lot better. This is, this is our comfort. This helps us feel better in the morning. Psalm 119, 49 through 50. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction. The promise gives me life. God's word, it is our hope and it is our comfort because it gives us promises. How are we to have hope in this life? I mean, there's discouragement all around us. Now, maybe more than ever, I mean, watch TV, talk to people. I mean, it, God's word, he tells us, is our hope and our comfort because there's a promise. There's a future promise. And how are we supposed to have hope? Because we're in this book and we know this book. God's word is our sword. Now, that, it doesn't really go with my backpacking illustration, but I packed it anyways. I mean, you could go backpacking with a sword if you want to, go hunting with it. I, I don't know. Um, but look at what Hebrews, Hebrews 4 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, what's the sword doing? Piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. What does God's word do? I mean, we think of this as offensive. What God's word, what Hebrews is telling us is that this is actually penetrating our hearts. It's confronting us in our sin. That's what God's word does. And again, the question is, is if, as a disciple of Jesus, how else are we gonna be confronted about our sinful comforts that we rely on? If not for this book right here, it's a sword that pierces our heart, that uncovers our callousness over the sin that we run to and hide in. And it is this book that is the sword that pierces that. God's word is the whole backpack. It's the map. It's the phone. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that God's word is breathed out by him. It is, it is helpful for equipping us for every good work. I mean, we could go on and on about how God's word is essential for, for what we're doing as a disciple. It's our shoes, Ephesians 6. It's our water, that's in Proverbs 25. And so here's, here's kind of the point of the, of the illustration here. Like if we were going backpacking, I mean, what have I not mentioned? A chair maybe, my, my shirt. So like, would you, like if we were going backpacking, three, let's go five nights. We're going to the Appalachia Trail. And, and you showed up and you're like, well... I don't know, I didn't feel like packing. I didn't have time to pack. But I brought my chair and I brought my shirt. Like that's not how it would work, right? That wouldn't go very well. You wouldn't make it very far. Okay, we would never do that. I wouldn't let you do that. You will not make it if we go backpacking with these things. It is, it is absolutely essential, all of it, for us to make it on this trip. And it is the same with the word of God. We need his word. And so the question for us, and a question I want to close with, um, is how do we take this book and wield in it the supernatural power so that it can be all of this for us, our backpacks and our shoes and our food and our, and our comfort? And how can we, how are we meant to use this book so that it is useful for these things? And so that's what I want to think about. We're going to go a little bit long this morning. I apologize. I shouldn't tell you that. 
Because here, this is so, it is so important that you learn how to use this book. You, you, I, I always, I say this often, but you do not need, you know this, right? You don't need me to study this book. I still like to work here, but you, you don't need me. Back before the Reformation, that's how it was. I mean, they didn't have translations. It was not in their language. There weren't even physical copies of it. They'd have to go to the Pope, and the Pope would say, here's, here the word of, here's what God's telling me. Let me interpret God's word for you. But that's not where we are today. I mean, we all have copies of the Bible. And so you can, must learn to use this book for all that it is supernaturally by the Spirit in your walk as a follower and disciple of Jesus. And, and maybe you, you've probably picked this up. Like, I'm not especially good at reading God's Word. Like, I'm, not, I'm really not. I, I, I'm not really smart. I went to school. But, but reading God's Word is not a gift. You recognize, it's not one of the spiritual gifts. Like, some have really good insight. In, no, that's not a gift. Everyone can read this book for themselves and apply the greatness of what it is in your daily walk with Jesus. And I remember learning this in my first class at seminary. Um, I went to Cedarville and Ashley got married at Cedarville, and then I went to Dallas Seminary to get my master's there. You know, and I'm going into my first class. Every student going into Dallas takes this class, Introduction to Bible Study Methods. Uh, and the professor's name is Howard Hendricks. And this man was a legend. Let me just tell you, he was awesome. He taught this class for 40 years. Thousands and thousands of first-year seminary students took this class with, with Dr. Hendricks. We called him Prof. Here's a picture of Prof. The eye patch made him all, even more awesome. When I took this class, he was 83 years old. It's 2007. And he had more energy and excitement about this book than I had ever seen anyone else have. And our first assignment, this is what Prof said to us at the end of class. And again, I'm a first year student, first class. He said, I want you to read Acts 1.8. Okay, I'll put the, the verse on the screen. He said, I want you to go home tonight and I want you to make 25 observations on this one verse. And an observation is just that. It's look at the verse, think about the verse, and write out things that you notice about the verse, places and, and names and connections and words. You don't need a commentary. You don't need to know Greek. All you need is Acts 1.8, and I want you to make 25 observations from this verse. I'm like, how many, are there 25 words in this verse? Like, how am I supposed to do that? But okay, I'm going to do it. I went to my computer, typed out 25 observations. It took me a long time. 25 observations on this one verse. We get back to class, and we share these observations and I'm telling you, this professor, prof, was giddy with excitement over what he was hearing. Now, he had heard over 100,000 of these observations on Acts 1-8, because he did this every single year. And he is jumping up and down with joy, because he's starting to see his students see the text, like see it for what it is. At the end of the class, he said, here's your assignment for the weekend. So I want you to go back. I want you to make 25 more observations on Acts 1-8. Not the same ones, 25. I'm like, what? Can we share answers? Or like, how do, no, 25 more. Got back to class the next week. In the class, you know what he said? You're gonna go home tonight and I want you to make 25 more observations, unique new observation on, on Acts 1-8. I go, this is getting out of hand. Next, next class, he said, one more time, 
25 more observations on Acts 1.8. 100 observations on Acts 1.8. Why is he doing this? He wanted us to slow down and to see the text and to think about the text. And so my hope for us as a church is that I can help share with you how he shared with me how we are to be readers and studiers of the word of God ourselves. Because that's what we're called to. We're called to not just come on Sunday and hear the word, but to be engaged with the word on a daily basis because it is essential for the life of the disciple. So four ways that we're, four, what we're saying is our method that we're gonna help teach here at the church, and we're gonna talk about this all the time. I'm gonna briefly walk through it here now. We're calling it the REAP method, R-E-A-P. This is exactly what Prof taught us. Change the acronym a little bit. But this first one is read. R for read. This is what he called observation. That was the assignment. Those 100 observations was part of this first step of studying the Bible for yourself. And it is reading the text. The Bible calls this meditation. Meditation. All throughout scriptures, here's just a couple of verses from Psalm that talks about what does it mean to meditate on the scripture? Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Listen to this. First, this is the most important step. I mean, hands down. When we get to God's word, what do we do? I mean, we have these Bible plans, and I love a good Bible plan. We have check boxes, and we have seven days of reading, and it's a lot of reading. And then you get behind a couple days, and then a couple more days. And so what does your, your Bible reading become? Like, like cramming it out, it is assignment. Can I listen to it? Does that count if I listen to it? Like, can I do that? And we have to catch up, and we're just kind of like flipping pages, reading because it's an assignment, and we have to get through with it. And again, there is a place for Bible reading plans. But what I'm saying is, that is not this that we're talking about. We're talking about meditating, slowing down, getting a pencil in your hand and reading one verse or two verses and, and approaching the text a, a less like it's an assignment and more like it's a crossword puzzle. Underlining, circling, thinking, looking at the one verse. And so often when we read the Bible, it's this passive kind of floating through the text. And what, we're, what I'm saying here is instead of that, which there's a place for that, but what we're saying is instead of that active engagement in the reading of the verse, I, I would rather you read less and really deal with the verse than read more and miss it absolutely, hands down. And so what does it mean? It means being a detective, like really thinking about every word, every connection, examining, highlighting, underlining, writing out. And so when I do this, I have a journal and I just will write. I mean, again, you don't, you don't need any education for this. You just need the verse and you just look at it. And that's what meditation is all day. Just think about it. 
Okay, I'm going to think about, like, what does it mean, and what is it saying, and what are these phrases, how do they connect with the whole passage, and, and this is exactly what we did with Acts 1.8. Okay, the um, second step, examine. This is what we call, the prof called interpretation. Okay, Proverbs 2, 4 through 5, if you seek it like silver and search for it as, as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Okay, seeking it like silver, searching for it like hidden treasure. There's a part of reading God's word and studying God's word that, that you've got to search and dig and linger over the text. The, the one, if there was, well, let me say it like this. So examining the text to understand what is the text, what does it mean? Because we don't come to the, this book that was written thousands of years ago and just instantly understand all the pictures of the Bible. I mean, we just... It's what we just did with discipleship. Remember the disciple? We think of a master teacher. That's not the disciple. It's an apprentice. It's an internship. And so we have to study the culture within the text so that we can understand the text. And if there was one resource that I would recommend for anyone that I use every day uh, for studying the text, it's the ESV Study Bible. Hands down to me, it's the best that there is when it comes to understanding the pictures and the images and the and the metaphors of the text, uh, I would recommend to you the ESV Study Bible. But examining is asking questions so that we can understand what's happening here. Pursuing the text. Pursuing it to understand it. What's the meaning behind it? And then lastly, we apply the text. We apply it. Look at Joshua, Joshua 1.8. I think Joshua 1.8 kind of lays this whole method out for us. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall what first? Meditate on it day and night. That's the R. You meditate and think on the text then so that you may be careful. You carefully meditate. You examine the text. That's that second step. You examine. You're careful with it. You look at it. You think about it. You ask questions about it. And you sit there with the text. Then what's the purpose of examining the text? He goes on to say, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, so that you can apply it, so that you can live it. You want to study it, meditate, think about it, so that you can apply it, and it can change your life. And so as you work with a verse, you ask questions, you write things down, and at the, as you start to kind of see the text for what it is, the, the question, the, the purpose of you reading the, the Bible is, how will this direct my life? I don't think this happens nearly enough in our personal study. Ne not nearly enough. Like, has it ever happened to you where you're reading a verse and you're like, that's talking about me and I need to change? So many, we, we read it so impersonally so often. But the point of meditating and examining is that the Holy Spirit would change our lives by the truth of this book because we believe in what this book is and God uses this book for what it is. And then we pray. You close your time in prayer. Here's what I've read. Here's what I've learned. Here's how I'm applying it. God, help me. Help me to walk, walk in this truth. And really, this is a great, as we train you and, and ourselves to be disciples, I mean, this is what we're training to how to, to handle God's word. You know, we love devotionals. There's a place for devotionals. What I'm saying with this is, I, I want you to write your own devotional. 
I mean, that's essentially what this is. Like, we're doing the work, we're reading a devotional, we're reading someone who has gone through this process with the verse you're in. It is a lot more effective and life-changing when you're the one that's doing the devotional work yourself. And you can do it. You can do it. And so my challenge to you, and it's okay if you read devotionals, it's okay if you have a yearly plan. That's, God uses all sorts of ways. But what I'm saying is, is that for us to use this book for all that it is, Joshua 1.8, John 8 gives this picture of us not just taking it in, but really digging it in with it, with a pencil in our hands, thinking about the text, slowly examining what God says through his word. And so my challenge for you, for you this week, actually it's my assignment for you this week, a hundred observations. I'm not really joking, but Psalm 119, one through eight. Psalm 119, one through eight. If you do all these other things, you read this, do that, that's fine. You don't have to change that. But I want to encourage you to try this. Try this. Psalm 119. It's eight verses. We have seven days. That's it. It's eight verses. We're not moving on to the next passage. I want you to meditate, read, examine, apply, and pray for the next seven days on those eight verses in Psalm 119. And here's what I think you're going to see. With a journal in your hand, you're going to see more than you ever thought was there because this book is supernatural. It's supernatural, and you can study it and read it and understand it, and God wants to change your life through this book. And so give it a try this week. I'll be posting some things, sending out some things on kind of my study of Psalm 119, 1 through 8 this week. But we want to help you get into this book for yourself that God can bless your life, challenge you in your life, and encourage you in your walk. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful uh, that you are a God who wants to speak with us every single day. I don't think we recognize what a gift, what a gift it is. I don't think we recognize the, the bounty of treasure that's in this book. And so God, I pray that all excuses aside, you'd help us to be people of the word, disciples of the word you would help us as we even read these eight verses in Psalm 119 this week, God, that you would open our eyes to see, not just see the words, but to see the meaning underneath the words, the significance of the words. And so, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us, that we would, maybe even for the first time for some of us, um, hear your communication through the, through the text, like actually hear you talk to us, like through your truth whether that's encouragement or conviction or challenging or whatever, whatever it is, God, I just pray, I pray that you would speak to us and reveal to us yourself, like you did Samuel through those first eight verses in Psalm 119. Help us to be people of the book. It's in your name we pray, amen.